Thank you, Mike, for reminding us of the power of prayer. We are continuing today our study on the Sermon on the Mount. It is our sixth sermon in the series, a series which we have entitled, Living on Earth, the Kingdom of Heaven. Now, the phrase, the Kingdom of Heaven, in Matthew's Gospel, means primarily not heaven, but primarily the reign of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it truly means to belong to his kingdom. Now, throughout church history and throughout the history of really mankind, man often fell in the trap of being satisfied with mere appearances. My wife and I fell in this trap two years ago. We deliberately made that choice when we decided we wanted to change some of our flooring in the house. And we wanted to get something that looked like hardwood floor. Now, having worked as, as for summer jobs as a student uh, in installing hardwood flooring, I did not mind the challenge. But when it came time to really select the materials, we chose instead to install something that looked like hardwood flooring, but was not. It was laminate flooring. The rationale was very easy. It was much less expensive, which it was much easier to install, and it was easier to maintain. And we were fine with a bargain. It looked nice, and we're happy with it. Now, there are many times in life when we settle for things that have good appearances, even though, even though we know they're not exactly what they appear to be. We prefer artificial decorations because they're easier to maintain. At Christmas, most of you prefer to have an artificial Christmas tree because you can keep it every year. You don't have to buy a new one. It looks like a Christmas tree, and you know it's not. And you're fine with it. We like the look of having wood furniture in our homes, but we settle for IKEA, even though we know it's not hardwood floor. Hardwood. In the last decade, the rising practice of plastic surgery is one of the many indications that our society worships the idol of good appearances. However, when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us that we cannot adopt the same mindset. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, those who belong to it cannot settle for mere appearances. Authenticity is demanded. And therefore, the theme of today's sermon is authenticity in the kingdom. I encourage you to open scripture to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 18. Actually, I'll start reading in chapter 5, verse 48, so that we connect this passage to what has happened earlier in the series. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page 838. 838, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. 
Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or, and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. This was the word of the Lord for us and for our hearts. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, you who see what is done in secret. We pray that you would turn our hearts to be open to your word. Lord, you know the obstacles that are in our hearts right now to listen to you, and we pray that you would put them aside. Lord, we pray that through your Holy Spirit you would speak to us once again, and we pray that the kingdom of heaven would be true of us here on earth. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, up until now, Jesus talked about the demands of the kingdom as they relate to the Old Testament. And we saw how the demands for perfection or the demands for holiness, which were revealed in the Old Testament, remain an ongoing demand in the New Testament. 
Look again at verse 48 in chapter 5, which is a summary of what Jesus has taught up until now in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, the demands of the kingdom of heaven is that its citizens would seek to reflect the character of God and His nature just as God began revealing it in the Old Testament. And this was the first major point Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And then beginning with chapter 6, the second point of the sermon will address a possible danger we can fall into as we seek to reflect God's perfection. We can fall into the danger of seeking righteousness not for the sake of God, but for the sake of appearing godly. Let me repeat that again. We can fall into the danger of seeking righteousness, not for the sake of God, but for the sake of appearing godly. So Jesus addresses this danger. And first he will give us the warning, the, the principle, and then he will give us three examples of how this principle is lived out. And by looking at those examples, we will find out how we can be careful not to follow into this danger of simply appearing to be godly, appearing to be righteous. Look at verse 1 in chapter 6, how Jesus begins the warning. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Now, this is an interesting caution. Given that the introduction uh, of the Sermon on the Mount focused on Jesus teaching his disciples that they are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he used the images of, of a city on a hill and a lamp in a dark place. In all these images in the Sermon on the Mount, the point Jesus made was to encourage disciples that they ought to have a visible impact in the world. He even said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's how the Sermon on the Mount began. The values of the kingdom will be reflected, will be visible, will be made known outwardly. If we truly have them, they will be visible. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, given this principle of visibility with which the Sermon on the Mount begins, it is very surprising to hear Jesus now warn his disciples by commanding them to be cautious not to carry out their righteousness before men. There's some of us here today that love this principle because we like the secrecy. We don't like this focus on on making sure that the, the faith we have inwardly is a faith that is seen outwardly also. So what is Jesus doing here? Is he contradicting himself? Is Jesus saying that the Christian life is a secret life? Not at all. We have to read this warning in the context, and we have to read the rest of the verse in order to understand what Jesus is cautioning against. Look at what Jesus says. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. 
Now this phrase is an interesting touch. It's an interesting phrase in the Greek language because it's, it's a phrase that, that announces purpose. In other words, Jesus is saying, do not do your acts of righteousness before men with a purpose that you would be seen by them or with a purpose of appearing righteous before them. Now, this is a shocking warning. Some people would actually engage in acts of righteousness with the wrong motives. Not so much to please God, but to impress men that they are righteous. Friends, this is the ugliness of sin. It takes good deeds, even acts of righteousness, and spoils them by causing them to be done from the wrong motivations. Our sinful nature is so utterly wicked that even if it cannot stop us from doing acts of righteousness, it can lead us to do them with a purpose that the spotlight would fall on us in the end so that men would see us. And Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by men. There are some people who are open to follow God as long as they see God returning the favor with all the goodies for their lives. There are some people who don't mind increasing their commitment to God as long as their reputation will be enhanced. Friends, I need to tell you that even pastors can fall into this trap. It's very easy for me as a preacher to try to prepare good sermons so that they would make me appear as a good preacher. So that greater crowd would come and listen to me as opposed to the church next door. It's very easy for preachers to, to try to work hard, not in order to be faithful, but in order that the light would be shone on us. It's so easy for us to fall in the, the trap of wanting to grow the church so that we can boast when we meet with other pastors over who baptized more people or over who's got the largest number of members or attenders. It's easy for us as a church, dear friends, to be more proud about, about the number of members on our rolls than about those who don't show up. And let me bring it home to our Southern Baptist Convention. Our convention boasts about having the largest body of evangelicals in America today with 16 million members. But it doesn't bother us as much that only 33% of these members are actually attending regularly. Why do we like putting up those numbers? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves than we truly are. Because it makes us feel as if we have a greater influence in the United States. Friends, again, having more members or preaching good sermons is not bad. But what is dangerous is the hunger that we have that in the end the spotlight would be cast on us. 
And Jesus gives three examples of great acts of righteousness which can be spoiled by a self-centered foundation. The example of giving, the example of praying, and the example of fasting. Now, these are just three examples of acts of righteousness. It's interesting that these three examples were selected. Giving, praying, and fasting are wonderful ways by which we can show our devotion to God. They're not the only acts of righteousness, but each of these three were very representative in Jewish piety. Giving alms to the needy, praying and fasting were crucial ways in which every Jewish person would show their devotion to the Lord. But as important and helpful as these were, Jesus warns us against the reality that even these acts of righteousness can be spoiled by sinful motivations. As good as these things are, as much as they could be acts of righteousness, in all three examples, Jesus says that the hypocrites do these also. Look at verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16. Three times Jesus says the hypocrites do these also. Yes, dear friends, religious hypocrites can be generous. Yes, dear friends, religious hypocrites can pray, and they can even have some long prayers. And yes, religious hypocrites can also fast, and they do fast, and they make sure you know when they fast. And just as in the scenarios in chapter 5, those of you who've been with us in the last few weeks, remember how the Israelites missed God's initial intention behind the Old Testament laws, and, and Jesus was reminding them, was correcting them of God's intentions in the Old Testament, so also now Jesus is giving a warning of doing the external acts of righteousness with the wrong motivations. Now, the way to protect ourselves from such hypocrisy is not to stop doing those acts. Jesus doesn't say, stop giving until you're going to get rid of hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't say, stop praying until you get rid of hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't say, stop fasting until you get rid of hypocrisy. Why do I bring this up? Why do I say this? Because I occasionally hear people who are so disgusted with the hypocrisy that exists in churches that they often stop being engaged with the church. But what often happens is that such people excuse their spiritual slumber or spiritual laziness by saying they don't want to pretend to be something they're not. And therefore, they will refrain from doing all those kinds of acts of righteousness. But Jesus is not saying stop praying, stop giving, stop fasting. Instead, he says, keep doing these acts, but do them in a way that no longer is feeding your ego, which desires you to be seen by men. In the case of giving, and let's look at these examples, in the case of giving, we have to clarify what Jesus is not doing. Jesus here is not referring to the regular portion of contributions which every Jew was supposed to bring to God and to the temple. We may have heard the phrase, a tithe. Jesus is not talking about the regular contributions. Here Jesus is talking about giving alms to the needy, and these givings, these 
acts of generosity were above and beyond what every Jew was supposed to bring to the Lord. But it was very easy for people to look at these commands which God has given in the Old Testament and, and make them as a means to shed light on them. Let's look at some of the Old Testament teachings on, on giving to the needs of others. In Proverbs 19, 17, it says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Psalm 41, verse 1, the psalmist says, How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. Now, in each of these cases, there's a promise that the Lord will reward such givers. But by the time of Jesus, people gave to the needs of others by having a different reward in mind. Namely, the reputation, the gaining of reputation for being generous. And Jesus says such people have received what they are after, but that's all they get. When you give and you're merely looking for that, for that reputation or for that thank you, when you're merely looking for what people will say as, as a result of you giving to them, you will get the reward you're after. But that's all you get. Instead of being generous in order to reflect the light on, on God's generosity towards us, these men were generous in order to attract light on themselves. And the remedy Jesus gives is in verse 3. It's a metaphorical image. It's a picture. Look at what Jesus says. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. This imagery points to the extreme selflessness with which we ought to give to the needy. The point is not simply that others would not know but that we ourselves would not seek self-gratification in the act of giving. Friends, let me ask you this morning, how easy it is for us to give to a cause very generously. And we're happy about doing so. But when we don't get a thank you note, we become disappointed. And even when you do get the thank you note, how easy it is for us to fall into the trap of, of self-gratification by thinking that we enable that person or that organization to do its work and we delight in the honor we receive, even if it's just inwardly. And we forget that all honor should go to God. When we give with the hope of being recognized, we will receive that honor as our reward, but that's the only reward we will receive. In the case of praying, Jesus says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. That's why the remedy Jesus suggests is in verse 6, Go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now again, we have to be careful what Jesus is not doing here. Jesus is not against public prayer. 
Jesus is not against us meeting together like we do on Wednesday nights when we gather together and pray out loud in the larger group. Jesus is not against us praying together here publicly. What Jesus is against is loving to be seen by men as praying. Now, we have to understand this danger in light of Scripture. Elsewhere in the Bible, we are encouraged to be a model for others in godliness, in prayer, in Bible reading. And I hope you are seeking to do that. I hope you are seeking to be a model for others. And let me speak specifically to parents. Parents, I hope your children see you open the Bible at home. I hope your children see you pray at home. Jesus is not saying here, you shouldn't do that. What Jesus is warning against is when we love to come across and be seen by men as praying, and that's all we do. Friends, the danger is when our spiritual lives are limited only to what people see. Let me ask you, do you pray more frequently and more fervently when you are alone with God than when you are with others? Do you love the secret place of prayer? Is your public praying the overflow of your private prayer, or is it a substitute for your private praying? Allow me to ask you another way. Do you open your Bible or pray mostly when you are at church? Do you do any of that on your own at home? Do you practice this discipline of closet prayers when you go someplace where no one sees you and you pray? My friend, if most of your spiritual activities are done primarily at church or in public places, and very little is done in private, the warning of Christ is specifically for you. Pay close, close attention to, to what Christ is teaching. The warning to, to be like the hypocrites is a very true warning for you, and I'm concerned for you. In the case of fasting, Jesus says in verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Again, Jesus is not saying we should not fast. He assumes that we will be fasting, and that fasting will be part of our devotion to God. And by the way, when, when we fast, we tell God that our basic needs, such as food, are less important than seeking God. In the Old Testament, fasting was part of, the, of certain Jewish feasts, such as celebrating the Day of Atonement or, or the Jewish New Year. In the Old Testament, fasting was also used as, as a sign of repentance and brokenness before the Lord. And, and also in the Old Testament, fasting was, was used as part of, of a special request we would offer to the Lord. All of these roles of fasting in the Old Testament were supposed to bring the attention to God. To take the spotlight from us 
and to put the spotlight on God and show our dependence on Him. But, as D.A. Carson points out, what began as spiritual self-discipline was prostituted into an occasion for pompous self-righteousness. What once was a sign of humility became a sign of self-righteous self-display. Friends, these examples are just some examples of, of acts of righteousness that God commanded in the Old Testament in order to honor God, in order to bring honor to God, and we turn them into self-promotion where we seek the honor of men. Now, these are not the only examples. There's so many other acts of righteousness that initially started with a right motivation to honor God, but we turned those motivations and we started focusing on us. Years ago, people used to dress up as a sign of respect for God. Some of you remember those days. It was not long before the quality of clothing, though, became an outward standard to measure someone's spiritual life. Or as an opportunity to show off who's wearing the best clothes. I remember in a Romanian church, hats were a big deal. So one, one Romanian lady visiting from Romania and the United States, when she finally returned back to, to her church in Romania, she was asked by her pastor, what did you most enjoy about the churches in America? And she responded, the hats. It's very easy for us to take something that initially was, was good, and we have turned them into a show that really sh sheds the light on us. No wonder that the younger generation rejected such hypocrisy by refusing to play this outward show and chose instead to wear casual clothing. But such tendencies may also fall into the trap of viewing authentic spirituality, but by who is wearing the worst clothing now. In either case, people could fall into the trap of using what they wear as drawing attention to themselves, and Jesus wants none of it. Acts of righteousness are supposed to bring glory to God, are supposed to bring the attention to God, away from us to Him, and never one drop of a second consider that what we do could actually be done in a way that we promote ourselves and promote to be seen as more spiritual. Friends, in all three examples, Jesus says that the wrong motivations, the sinful motivations, lead us to get the wrong reward. When we do acts of righteousness with a hope that others will notice, we will get those rewards that we hope for. But we will get those rewards in full, and they are the wrong rewards. They are the rewards of men, not the rewards of God. So the question we must ask ourselves is, Whose reward are you seeking? The reward of getting the praises of men or the reward of God? Friends, at the end of the day, all acts of righteousness were designed to draw attention to God, to be a reflection of God, to bring honor to God, and most importantly, 
they were designed to be a display of the reign of God in our lives. How pitiful that we would consider to do these acts in order to draw attention on us. Friends, Jesus' demand for righteousness, for perfection, stands in the New Testament. But Jesus gives a warning. As you're seeking to be perfect like the Father in heaven is perfect, be careful that you don't settle merely for the appearances of being perfect. Yes, it may be cheaper. Yes, it may be easier. Yes, it may be easier to maintain that appearance. Yes, the cost may be lower. But at the end of the day, we cannot, we cannot settle for mere appearances. In the kingdom of heaven, authenticity is demanded. My friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, perhaps you have considered the claims of Christianity but you have been put off by so much hypocrisy you saw in the church, I want to assure you that Jesus himself warned against such hypocrisy. But my friend, don't let the hypocrisy that you see in others keep you away from becoming a Christ follower. Christ was no hypocrite. Focus on him. The Bible says that God created all of us. And therefore, because He created us, He has ownership over our lives. The Bible says that God is holy, and because He's holy, He created us perfect in His image so that we would reflect His image. But we chose to rebel against Him. We chose to ignore His commands, and therefore, God brought against us His righteous judgments and His wrath. And the penalty of our rebellion is death. But this holy God still loved us. And he sent his only begotten son to take upon himself the punishment we deserved for our sin. So that we would regain his perfection and be reunited with God. And the resurrection of Jesus was proof that he overcame death and sin for our behalf. And now this Jesus invites you to repent of your sin, and to believe in his sacrifice for your behalf. But friends, for those who ignore and refuse to respond to Christ, for them remains only the reality of eternal torment separated from God. My friend, don't let the hypocrisy of others keep you away from Christ. Don't let the hypocrisy of others put you in jeopardy of spending eternity in hell. I hope that regardless of your objections, that you would heed the call of Christ to follow him. Friends, it's only those who respond to Christ by repentance and faith that can have the hope of authentic relationship to God. A relationship that will not merely pretend to be a Christian, but a relationship that will make us on the inside what we pretend to be on the outside. A relationship that will enable us to receive the perfection of God and will enable us to pursue the perfection of God. Friend, if you would like to know more about this Christ and what it means to repent and believe in Him, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. But for those of us who are Christians, I hope you examine your life. 
I hope we examine our own lives and walks with God and ask if we have fallen into the trap of loving the reputation of being spiritual more than loving to be spiritual. I pray that we would examine ourselves and see if we seek God's righteousness more than we seek to be seen as righteous. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, our sinful nature has the ability to allow us to obey the commands of God as long as we do it with a desire to bring attention to ourselves. As long as we do it with a desire that, I hope somebody sees us do this. Be aware of the sinful influence. And as our brother Samuel Echeverria preached last week, let us deny ourselves. Let us take up the cross and let us follow Christ without hoping to receive the attention of men. Friends, in chapter 5 of the sermon of Matthew, Jesus told us that in the kingdom of heaven, the king extends the scepter of his kingship not only against the external behavior of murder, but also against the internal motivation of hatred. Not only against the external act of committing adultery, but also against the internal motivation and internal lust of the heart. So also now, in chapter 6, Jesus is saying that the reign of God in our lives extends not only over the external acts of righteousness, but over the motivation with which we do those acts of righteousness. When we do acts of righteousness with a desire to be seen by them, we are actually proving that even though we claim the reign of God in our lives, we are still pursuing our own reign, our own honor. And no matter how much we try to convince ourselves that we are true citizens of His kingdom, that faith is empty and useless. Friends, living on earth, the kingdom of heaven, means that we live on the inside what we claim on the outside. Do you? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus called us to you, the Father of all perfections. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus warned us against the danger that we carry within us in our sinful nature to merely pretend that we're perfect. Father, I pray that you heal all of us who have fallen to this trap one time or another. And Lord, I pray that those of us who are still in this trap of loving reputation of godliness more than we love godliness, Lord, I pray that you heal us right now of our self-centered Christianity, of our ego-driven relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would purge us of all iniquity, of all self-centeredness, and enable us to pursue you for the sake of God's glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray for his glory and honor.